Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on thebigscreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We're back. It's Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. And it's nice to have you back around as well. Thanks for coming along. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, a great place to go catch a movie, all kinds of great movies in there at the Bemidji Theater. And we are very pleased to have them aboard as a sponsor of this podcast. You know, speaking of the Bemidji Theater... We got a little correspondence. We did, yeah. We appreciate that. Missy had sent that directly, right? She did. Uh, she yeah. said it. Uh, we had had a discussion a few weeks back about, uh, I think it was on the Oscar show, and we talked about a few of them that were up for consideration, most notably uh, Three Billboards and Lady Bird. And I think at some at various different nights when you and I would be thinking about going to the theater, we'd check the listings and didn't see it, and I think we'd made a comment. Oh, I don't think they came. They did. Turns out Missy corrected me, and they were only here for a brief period, but they were here. They so were here. They and were here. It's up to CEC yes. to determine. CEC owns the Bemidji Theater as well as several other theaters within the, the greater chain of CEC theaters, and it is up to them what goes into certain places and what doesn't. Yeah. So it is on them in the end rather than on the individual theater itself. So yes. I appreciated that, that yeah. she sent that info along so that we could pass that along perhaps with in in terms of what does come in and when it comes in. But they they get the big stuff and they, they get it coming into the theater. So, I mean, when you look across northern Minnesota, there is not a place like the Bemidji Theater anywhere around no. here where there are this many options in terms of movies to go see so uh, we're pleased to have them available here in town and not only available but also sponsoring this podcast if it was up to missy and the bemidji crew i mean there would be a plethora of movies that i mean old movies that have been out forever and a day would make a special one day return and right all kinds of stuff that would be if it was up to them but for those that say well some of those great art movies like lady bird and others uh, that don't come. Well, here's a good way you can make sure they come. Let's say Paramount Pictures is going to release such and such a movie. Paramount might take a look at what they've released and in what markets and the Bemidji market. Well, we had a movie from Paramount X amount of years ago that didn't really get a lot of people go see it. So why would we spend the money to send it and all that and not get more money again? So if, when the next art movie comes from Paramount or whoever, make sure you go see it. So when the next one comes down the pike, Paramount will say, yes, Bemidji turns out in droves to see more than a raunchy comedy. So raunchy comedies do very well in Bemidji. So every raunchy comedy that ever gets made will come to Bemidji. Um, but some of the Lady Bird type movies, three billboard movies, uh, maybe not as much. So go support the art movies and you'll get more art movies coming in. You got it. That's from Missy. Thank you, Miss. Yeah, appreciate it, Missy. Yeah, thanks. for And... Appreciate that she's tuned in so closely to the podcasts and can pick up on stuff like that as well. Well, so. yeah. When you're in line at there at the concession stand, they've got that placard, by the way. I don't know if you've seen it. I, I have seen it. Don't know if we've mentioned it on the podcast, but we've seen the placard. I think we've mentioned it a time or two here Maybe. on the podcast, Dave. But when you're standing in line to get your juju bees, do you ever point out, hey, that uh, cartoon face? 
That's not my face. That's Rick or Nick, but I have filled in for them. That's my podcast. I don't do it in my voiceover voice, but sometimes I do point out to my friends, hey, look at that. It's it's our podcast. And I'll do so more in, in that kind of voice of, hey, that's really two. cool. I have two. Yeah. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Dave? I know you're excited about what we're talking about today. You know, this is, and it's ironic you should put it that way, appropriate, I should say, because it's something designed to get you excited about the movies. We're talking about movie trailers today. And we are going to give you some upfront heads up. There may be spoilers, and that's actually going to be a subtopic about this because sometimes movie trailers give you spoilers that maybe you'd rather you didn't know. So we'll get to that. That's the goofy irony of it, isn't it? Well, the trailers these days do feature a lot of spoilers sometimes that come with them or at least possible building into spoilers, but they sure create speculation. Trailers are, you may not think about it, but they are hugely important as to a movie's performance. If you market a movie well, people will go see it. Maybe it turns out the movie was not as good as the trailer, uh, where the trailer led to believe. Sometimes it is so well done, it makes you ask questions, it makes you want to see the movie, even if you don't know enough about the movie. There was good trailers, bad trailers, trailers that share too much information or not enough information. It is a vital part. How many people do you know when you go to the movie theater? Eh, we'll get there at like five after starting time, but that's just the trailers. Well, shut up. That's the best part. And they're not wrong. You know why they're called trailers, right? Yes. They used to be after the movies, but people would leave after the movies, and they would not stay for those trailers for other movies. I, I am baffled that they... I, I guess it, it made sense to put them at the end of the movies. It's like... Now that you've seen this movie, coming soon, here's what's going to be on the big screen. But oh, but, but, but people would leave, so it, it made sense to put them at the front. So how ironic is that, that well, the trailers are at the front, front-running before the feature film itself? We've talked about how people consume movies rather than you know really thoroughly enjoy them like you would a fine meal, rather than just chomp it down. Going to the movie theater back in the day... And I mean, this is before even my time. There are some places that'll do revival shows. But, I mean, it was an event. There was the short. Listen, where Flash Gordon and The Shadow and all this stuff used to come into play. Then they'd do some cartoons. Then they would do some news. And then the feature presentation was like at the end. But you'd already been sitting in the theater for, I don't know, 30 minutes, half an hour before the movie actually started. Because all this, it was an event. People went for an event. Now you just kind of show up to the Mick movie and you watch, you know, you come in a little late, you leave a little early, you don't stay for the end credits, you know. People consume it like it was a, a Mick cuisine rather than a fine meal. Right. But movie trailers are still an event. Oh, yeah. When they come out. They are absolutely event an, an event that happens. This is a pretty amazing stat that I saw here. Trailers are still big in terms of you go to the theater and you see it on the big screen. Like, I, I still love seeing a trailer on the big screen. But the advent of the internet and the coming of video in on the internet has been huge for movie trailers. Among th This was a, a stat from a couple of years ago, but among the 10 billion videos watched online annually, where would you rank film trailers, Dave? Oh, high. Easy, high. How high? Oh, top two, maybe? You're close. They rank third after news and user-created video in terms, of, in terms of number and in terms of consumption in particular. Movie trailers are, are massive, and, and they, they're massive business. Like you said, that is, 
That is the gateway into your movie and into creating buzz for your movie is having a movie trailer. It has always been that way, and it always continues to be that way, even though movie trailers have have changed considerably from their counterparts back in the 1930s, the 1940s, to where they are now. It's it's gotten considerably different in terms of how they look and and how they feel, and yet at the same time, their importance continues to be magnified in a very big way. You know, for those, I'll give you the best example. Maybe not the most current example I can think of, but the best example of the power of a movie would be, and we always circle back to Star Wars, Episode One: The Phantom Menace. The first teaser trailer came out in late 1998. Now, I don't remember the movie that it came out in front of, but it was well-known. And this was when the Internet was in its infancy. So you didn't just go to YouTube and download it. And even if you did, you'd have to go and you set up your computer to watch this at night before you go to bed. And by the time you woke up in the morning, the whole trailer might be downloaded. That's what the Internet was in 1998. So when the movie came out in front of what I mean, you're looking it up, I feel what was you know what movie it was in front of? I don't know. It it doesn't have it here. Well, it was well announced, and the movie wasn't necessarily a bad movie. I want to say it was uh, like a Keanu Reeves movie or something. I don't remember. I don't remember. But the movie was number one at the box office, and barely anybody saw the movie. You know why the number was was number one? Because people went and bought their ticket to see the trailer at the beginning. And as soon as the trailer was over, before the opening credits rolled, people left. They, you know, I'm sure the movie was a good movie, but people didn't stay to watch it. And so many people went to buy their ticket to see that trailer, and just the trailer. That movie was number one in the box office that weekend. Right. That's a true story. That is the impact that it had. And, of course, it was Star Wars. Star Wars at the time had been away for almost 20 years, about 18 years, since Return of the Jedi leading into The Phantom Menace. People were thrilled. And then the movie came out, and that's another story. But It was another story. But, yeah, it got the appetite whetted, you know, and that's what oh, trailers do. Yeah, And th- there are other ways you can whet the appetite. For instance, do you know what they did before the – the Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises came out. Hmm. Christopher Nolan and and the executives, they they came up with a way to build more interest. And that was to do a six minute prologue for each one where they showed they showed oh, the yeah. bank heist yeah, scene you're right. from the Dark Knight and they showed the the plane heist scene from the Dark Knight Rises. They would show them before with the Dark Knight, um, they showed that scene before I Am Legend. And before The Dark Knight Rises, I think they showed that with Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Was They showed that six-minute prologue in IMAX where you got to see only that scene. And it was almost like a test screening in some ways. That's why they changed Bane's voice. Yeah, it was, it was after, hard to understand. Yeah, it was after the test screening for, for The Dark Knight Rises. But they that was another way. And then at the end of that, they almost had a... a, a they had a smattering of clips that they put together to music. So it was almost like a trailer, but... This is an extended cut of what you are going to see in the movie itself. So they they did something like that as well. It's it's great business for those movies that that have that attached to it because you get to come for for this, which you know is coming in the future, and yet you're also coming for that movie, and and that's exactly what trailers do. Yeah, and I mean, and their trailers have evolved in a major way, and they're not done. They're going to always evolve. But, I mean, if you go watch, you know, the go back to the golden age of cinema, and you can go back to the 30s if you want, but you can also, I can kind of consider the golden age going through the 50s and the 60s and all of this, 
the trailers were almost built on star power rather than what the story was about. You really oh, they were. You didn't see clips from the story, the cliffhanger that might you know come up in the show. It was watching the two stars interact on screen together, and what they said was almost inconsequential. You know what's interesting about those trailers? If you watch them from like the forties, the fifties, there are extended pieces of dialogue that you get out of that. Oh yeah, you get to see the stars in action a little bit more. There's a little bit more dialogue, and it's it's fitting toward what the story is that you're about to see. But it's also to give them their time uh, on screen, and and you can go. Cary Grant is going to be in this movie, or Audrey Hepburn in this in this one, and then you've got the the um, voiceover that goes with it as well, which which sometimes explains a little bit of what's going on in this story. Or you get the text on screen, the classic text on screen. I think the forties, the fifties, the sixties. Yeah, thrills, chills. That's right, exactly. You get you get those that pop on the screen as well that that are supposed to create this this excitement for this movie and sometimes you get um reviewers in there as well. I've seen I've seen reviews or pieces of reviews that have been in these trailers. And some of them as well. were like nothing you've seen really before or since. I remember one of the more unusual ones was actually for the movie Psycho because we mentioned spoilers in this movie. Psycho has got probably the biggest twist of all movie twists that really spawned a lot of later twists. You think the movie's going to be about one thing, and it becomes about a whole other thing. Halfway through the movie, the lead actress, who at the time was a huge star, gone. Kind of like Drew Barrymore in Scream. You thought she was going to be through the whole movie. She didn't make it to the credits. Right. So the trailer for Psycho was actually Alfred Hitchcock on camera walking through the set. Oh, this was a scene of a horrible murder. Oh, they've cleaned it up, though. It looks looks nice now. And that's basically what the trailer was about. And also saying, we're not letting people in. Once the movie starts, you don't come in. If you come in one minute late, you don't get to go in and see it because we don't want you to know. What? And it got people thinking. And it probably had something to do with why it was such a big hit. Well, Hitchcock's trailers were a completely different breed of trailer yeah. of their own. But it, that was still somewhat common yeah. in that day, in the, especially in the 50s and 60s, where you'd have somebody maybe sitting in an armchair telling you, about this new picture. And I often like to imitate Hitchcock with what he would do. He's like, come and see my new picture that is going to be on screen. It's called North by Northwest. And they'll spin the globe. I think he spun the globe there with the, the North by Northwest one. But he would appear in, I, I think sometimes the first cuts of those trailers would feature Hitchcock telling a little bit about his story, which is interesting because, like I said, you, you'd occasionally get that voiceover person or somebody telling you about this movie that's coming up in those classic trailers. But it wouldn't be somebody attached to the movie no. more often than not. It, and yet Hitchcock here Sometimes is, telling you a little bit, is telling you a little bit about his story that he's going to do. And that would be one cut of the trailer, and then there'd be another where they tell a little bit more about about the the people or about the the story itself like i remember for the uh to catch a thief trailer um they spotlighted in particular that grace kelly is an oscar winner oscar winner grace kelly on screen with Cary grant in to catch a thief yeah and in a lot of ways all that and a lot of ways from the beginning of movie trailers from the very get-go through the 60s and even early 70s they really didn't change and then you started getting somewhere into the 70s 
and they started to change into something resembling something a little more modern, where it was something that was actually, I don't want to, it was more theatrical, I guess you could say. I don't know how to explain it better than that, but the trailer itself almost had its own narrative. It was a lot more about the story. Um, Steven Spielberg's Jaws comes to mind, where this is where you started getting the voice, and the voice could be anybody, you know, and the, the best well-known voice has a Minnesota connection from Duluth, Don LaFontaine, and he, he was the guy who was on about every movie trailer you ever saw. Now, they don't really have the voice More than 5,000 film trailers, Believe apparently. It. He was out there. And if you really want to watch a fun one with Don LaFontaine, Jerry Seinfeld, after he had finished the show, did a kind of a documentary called The Comedian. And the trailer is basically Don LaFontaine recording the voiceover for the trailer, but he's but he's having fun with the producer. Just go to YouTube, look up the trailer, and it's fun. And it's actually Don LaFontaine. He was a legend. He has since passed on. But if you hear his voice at all, you know immediately who it is. Oh, yeah. His nicknames included Thunderthroat yeah. and the voice of God. And, yeah, he became, <laughs> he became identified with the phrase, in a world. In a world. <laughs> in a world. Where laughter was king. How often would would you hear that? It, it's, they actually spoofed that oh, in, the, in the comedian's trailer. Uh, Don, not in a world. What do you mean, not in a world? It's not that kind of movie. All right. In a time. Not in a time. It's just worth watching. Um, it's, so it's worth checking out. But that's the movie started to get into that kind of a thing where he, if he did every trailer that ever was, yeah. perhaps he may have. Here's what's funny. He apparently he started out his work in terms of he was a recording engineer to start. Mm-hmm. And his work began with doing radio spots for Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. Funny enough. A lot of people get interesting starts and they kind of find their niche. I mean, who grows up to say, I want to be the voice on movie trailers? Because nowadays there isn't the voice on the movie trailer. Now you get giant words fly up where Don LaFontaine may have said something. Endure. Then more scenes. The spectacle. You know, that's what it is now. Usually with the foghorn from the, the, the you know, Hans Zimmer's Inception to a company. That's what they do now. And at some point, that will go away, and it'll become a new thing. And that's fine. So trailers have become much more cinematic starting in the 70s to the point where when I was a kid, partially what probably started my love affair with movies was pay-per-view was kind of a new thing. And that was movies in a lot of ways. And so there was a channel on the TV that you could watch all the trailers for the movies that were playing on pay-per-view. And we weren't allowed to order the pay-per-views, but I loved watching the trailers. And this was in the mid-'80s when, I mean, that was some cool stuff. So the trailers were extremely cinematic. You may not really know what the movie was about, but my God, I want to see that movie. Cocoon, I remember. If I was 10 years old and saw Cocoon, I wouldn't have liked it. But the trailer was spectacular. The Arnold Schwarzenegger was in his peak. And, I mean, the Rocky Four. wow, this looks great. All of those were just bait, bait, yep. bait. And they worked so well. Rick and Nick Talkflix is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, and we're glad to have them on board for the podcast. Yeah, it's funny when you watch trailers, like classic movie trailers, which I like to do. I, I like going on YouTube, and I like finding classic movie trailers. Like, what was the trailer that accompanied Casablanca when it came out? Or, I've watched the trailer for Lawrence of Arabia I don't know how many times since that is my favorite movie. It's funny how trailers have, have changed over time, Dave, because with those older trailers, you would get maybe some extended periods of dialogue that would kind of summarize this is the kind of movie you're about to get into. Now, 
we get an an understanding of generally with trailers of what the movie is going to to be about as far as a base plot line. I mean, you might get some twists and turns in there, but you're going to get a base storyline that is told by the trailer. And yet you're also going to get these super cuts of all kinds of clips put together. Like they are as far as clips, the number of clips has gone up exponentially from the number of clips that used to be in trailers. And it, they're they're just quick hitters. They are super quick hitters, maybe a couple of seconds, and they get more and more rapid as the trailer goes along. But it's to create that suspense and create that, what is this movie about? What is this movie kind of appeal to it? But it's funny how clip length and the manner of trailer has changed quite a great deal oh, yeah. since, since when trailers first came along. One of the most noteworthy examples I can think of, it was at, at the time an extremely short trailer was for Independence Day. And all it really showed, you know, on July 4th, 1996, they're coming. And you didn't really know what it was. And then, all of a sudden, you saw a shot of the White House blowing up. You're like, what? People were talking. I mean, because that was a scene that was in the movie. But Yeah, that ended up being one of the most iconic scenes in movie history. But in the trailer, it didn't show the UFO and the laser beam. It just showed the White House blowing up. And it wasn't a CGI that, when at the time, they had built a model out of balsa wood or whatever of the White House and blew it up. And it was, for any uh, Secret Service agents that are now listening to the podcast, no, I'm not making any plot. I'm just saying that's what the trailer of the movie was. Iconic shot. And then as you saw the movie, all these iconic buildings blew up. And then it became kind of a thing that, you know, if you were going to see a movie, particularly by you know, Dean Devlin, producer, and Roland Emmerich, some well-known building was going to blow up. Madison Square Garden and Godzilla, you know. You know, you know in, I just looked it up. IndieWire came up with their their 20 best trailers from the last 20 years. Independence Day is the first one they it have got up. people talking because at first, I mean, people that knew anything about what was coming – they knew what Independence Day was. They knew it was coming, but they didn't know much about it. It was an alien invasion movie. Stay tuned. That's because what did they do? They told the story with very simple shots. They used the shadow shots that they that they oh, had yeah. of the ship coming into focus extremely well, and then you bring it with the big shot. People were the really talking. big shot. People were like, "What is this?" And that's not even from the climax of the movie. No, so it was perfectly done. It was and it, it it was it didn't change movies, but it really got people talking, and that's what trailers are for. Now there's good trailers, there is you know really good trailers, and ID four would most definitely qualify. And there are bad trailers that just straight up don't make you want to see the movie. And there's a lot that are like that, and then there are some that are uh, impossible to talk about. And I I'll, I'll give you an example. I've, I think I've mentioned this in passing. It's one of the worst trailers in that it horribly sells the movie. It's one of my favorite movies, actually. It's, I don't think you've ever seen it. I think I've talked to you about it, but I've never shown it to you. It's called Sneakers. It's from the early 90s. It's a computer hacker movie. Robert Redford. It's got an all-star cast. Oh, Robert yeah. Redford. You've, you've talked about Sneakers. Sidney Poitier's yeah. in it. Uh, one of River Phoenix's last roles. Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley. Everybody's in it. It's a great all-star cast. And it, it, computers obviously have changed since the 90s, so it's a little dated. But it's also not so dated. It's actually a very, very good movie. But how do you describe the movie? Well, it's kind of a comedy. It's kind of a it's suspense. It's kind of a little of everything, really. It's like Thanksgiving dinner. It's got a little of everything. So how do you do a trailer for a movie that's hard to even just among friends? Well, what kind of movie is it? Well, it's a little of everything. So they 
pulls it as a giant espionage thriller with flash cuts. So you go into it thinking it's going to be an action movie, and it's not. It's right. quirky. It's it's a great movie. It's got one of the best endings. It's it's a great movie, but the trailer is horrible. So if you ever if you're thinking to go see it. Don't watch the trailer. Go watch the movie and then watch the trailer and see if the trailer represents at all what you are about, to, what you have just seen. So don't see it first. You know, as far as modern trailers and as far as modern marketing, how about the Blair Witch Project, too? Oh, that was groundbreaking. As far as appealing to the internet and as far as, as understanding what makes the modern moviegoer tick, I but, mean, but you have to that go was beyond, different. You have to go beyond trailer because the trailer was one part of the marketing campaign, because all of the marketing campaign is what made that happen. They put that on uh, the sci-fi network or whatever they called it at the time, and they posed it as if it was true. So even the actors, they had, um, you know, this is back in the day when they would pay actors that were going to be killed on screen to actually not work for a year. They would pay them for a year to not be in other movies just so that all of a sudden the movie comes out and the actors disappeared. So they're thinking, man, well, maybe it's for real. And so they had this documentary on sci-fi that really posed it as if it was real. They did all this stuff that was not in the movie. They filmed it exclusively for the thing that these people have disappeared. And it was a huge thing, and it really worked. And for a long time, the urban legend persisted for years that maybe something about it was legitimate. And then, of course, later on the daytime shows, here come the actors, and clearly it was just the show. And But it was funny how modern that was that people believed it, because the internet wasn't what it is now. Yeah. But it was starting. That's the power of these trailers, though. They, And they, it's neat seeing how clever some of these trailers have gotten in terms of being able to market the movie and in terms of building the buzz surrounding the movie because here's an opportunity if you can do something different you might be able to hook somebody who might have not normally watched this movie and and get you into it based on maybe something clever that you've done with it or maybe something something that's different about it like do you remember um the the recent James McAvoy movie split that came out yes i i did not go see it but I strongly considered going to see it because that trailer was creepy that they had for it. That was a downright creepy trailer. And I was like, what is the deal with James McAvoy? He's got all these different personalities. And that first trailer just was spine crawl. It's just one of those ones that makes your, your skin crawl with, with the way that it, that it worked. It was one of those spine tinglers in that way. But that's not your type of movie. I'm, I'm a horror movie fan. You're not a horror movie fan. So I might be drawn to it. You might be repulsed by it, and that's okay. Um, you know, movie trailers are designed to entice you to want to see it, but you also get an idea of what you're going to go see. So if you're not into Texas Massacre or whatever – it doesn't matter how good the trailer is. You're not going to go see it. But it makes you almost afraid to see it. You know, I, this is probably a good point to bring up. I don't think we'll ever get an opportunity to bring it up again. Um, one thing, an art that is lost from the way that films used to be done were the video covers. I mean, when, you, when, there, were such, when there was still such a thing as the video store. And for some reason, in particular, was the horror movie section. I mean, the, you could go look at those boxes of the VHS video cassettes. There was nothing, any other genre, it just didn't quite do the same. You could say what you want about, um, you know, Drew and some of his artwork that he would do for Spielberg with Back to the Future. Beautiful art. And it was fantastic. But the horror concept was, it was almost a horror show in and of itself. I was afraid as a kid, 
just seeing the box cover. I didn't want to see the movie. I'd already gotten my money's worth without even paying to rent it. <laughs> I was already spooked. And that was, and it's not like that anymore. Now they some guy with a quick Photoshop job, and they'll just put a face of somebody up there. Done. It's not the art that it used to be. Let me ask you this: When it comes to trailers, have you ever seen a trailer that made you want to go see that movie, and then you ended up seeing it? Oh, absolutely. Can you give some examples? Uh, I've I've got a gift, Hoove. I've, I've some people heal, some people are just good looking. I oh, can boy. tell you with a 90 percentile whether the movie is going to be any good based on the trailer. Really? Yes. Good in your line of sight or Some, good in general? It's just the way that animals can detect earthquakes. I can tell you within 90 percent whether the movie is going to be any good or not based on the trailer. But good is subjective to you. Good is subjective, yes, but we're talking about to the masses. A, is the movie any, is the movie good at all? Because everyone's got their own taste. There's movies that I think are good that other people won't. But the movies that I think are good that most people don't, I can tell you, look, I like this movie, but I can see why a lot of people wouldn't like this movie. Right. This is going to be a divisive movie. This movie will actually be okay. Whether it, it does well or not, this one will be a huge hit. Now that we've established that you have that gift, yes. what movies have you actually gone to see based on the trailers themselves? I'll tell you. That, one, that maybe you were not considering watching before seeing that trailer. Uh, one of them was, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Because how do you describe that movie anyway? I mean, we're talking about a movie based on Homer's Odyssey, which is about as old as books get short of the Bible. Right. And it is set in deep era depression south with a bluegrass score. You're like, What? But you, so I, I'd heard a little bit of the Coen Brothers with the title. I was like, oh, "This sounds weird." And then I saw the trailer. I was like, "This actually looks quirky and fun and good. I want to see this movie." Um, there was one; it's one of my favorite movies actually about the Cuban Missile Crisis called Thirteen Days. I never heard anything about it. And then one day I'm in the theater, and out comes the trailer for it. Um, came out around 2000, about the same time as Old Brother. And it looked really, really good. And I, as somebody from my generation, I don't know anything about the about the Cuban Missile Crisis other than the very most basic, broadest of strokes. But it was interesting. Made me want to go see more. And wow, was it fantastic. It was a great movie. I recommend it highly to anybody and everybody. So absolutely, that's how it's supposed to work. As a movie insider, quote unquote, like I like to fantasize that I am. I'd like to think I know everything about everything, but I don't know anything. But every now and again, something will come down the pike, and it's just, oh, I want to see that. I don't know anything about it, but yep. boy, that looks good. I have two examples. Hit me. They're fairly recent, Hit but me. two main examples. One, this past summer, we had talked about this movie a little bit, but I didn't really have too much of an inkling as to... You know, maybe I'll go see it, maybe I won't. And it's not often that I take a flyer on going to see a movie. Like, usually I'm I'm kind of expecting what I'm going to get going into a movie. Or I know this director, or I know this actor or actress really well, and, and this is going to be worth going to see. But then I saw the trailer for Baby Driver. And I was really captured by how unique it was with use, use of the music. Spoiler alert. That's going to be a future podcast episode, by the <laughs> Probably way. Probably the next one. More than likely. I was really captivated by the way that they used the music and fit it against the the scenes really well. It was well. synchronized. What it, you saw and what you heard went together like peanut butter and chocolate. And yeah, you, you see people like Jamie Foxx, John Hamm. It's like, hey, th this looks like a really interesting movie. Why is nobody talking about this? And then I actually went to go see the movie 
after seeing the trailer, and I loved it. I mean, the, the movie was great, and now I own it. So it's it's funny how it, it is possible that way. So Baby Driver was a big one. Another one, and this was a movie I did not see in theaters. I actually did not see this movie until requesting it for Christmas, and I got it then on DVD for Christmas from my parents, and that's when I watched it for the first time. I took a big, big risk with watching this, but I had seen the trailer, and I knew I got to see this movie, partially because of the director. No, I'm curious. What movie was Partially there? because of the director, partially because there was so much buzz, and the people who made up this movie, it was like, this looks like it has to be good, and that was Inception, which has one of the yeah. iconic trailers Maybe of all time. Yep, with that horn, which you alluded to earlier. Yeah. The Inception trailer is a great example of what a modern-day trailer can be because they put it to a terrific score, which actually was a, a different score. Um, Zach Hemsey's Mind Heist is different from... It, it's not it's not Hans Zimmer, not Hans Zimmer who did no. the soundtrack. This was a specific score made by Zach Hemsey for this trailer. And it was just mesmerizing because yeah. you put that music with the the strings and everything and the and the horns and you put that to the images that you're seeing these I'm beautifully crafted images nolan movie such a nolanite you are that you didn't see it yet i thought you'd be like first in line well this was this was 2010 this was um in between the batmans th- this was senior year of high school i was starting to go to movies more often but that summer my family went on a trip for two weeks while the while the movie was out, and I, were, uh, I and I had wanted to go see it, but I didn't get a chance to go see it, mainly because I was away during that time. And then when I came back, it was the start of soccer season, and it was a busy time. Well, let me ask you. So, let, me, let me ask you the flip side to this question. Now we still have some ground to cover. Have you seen a trailer that you like? I want to see this movie. Then you go see the movie, and you felt betrayed by the trailer because it was not a good movie. There's, there are not any that I can readily think of. Because as as far as my movie going, I don't take leaps that terribly often in terms of I, I'm kind of stepping out of my comfort zone going to see this particular movie. There's not too many that I can think of, at least off the top of my head, but maybe with some time I could I could come up with one. I know there was one that um, my my brothers would say based on the trailer they were intrigued by it. Then we went and saw it, and they were disappointed. And that was Gravity. They they did not like Gravity very much. I w- I thought it was a really interesting, unique movie going experience. They didn't like Gravity much, and we went kind of based on what we had seen from trailers and otherwise, and as far as buzz. But do you have a couple in mind? Uh, yeah, I can, but uh, I will skip ahead to the next part and say there are some great movies that have got some bad trailers to them that maybe have kept people away. Uh, one of them I just read, I'm a big fan of Simon Pegg. I will see anything with Simon Pegg. But I'm also a big Star Trek fan. And he was Scotty in the rebooted Kelvin-verse of the Star Trek movies. So they had done the three rebooted, so to speak, movies. The most recent one about two years ago, Star Trek Beyond, which is probably the best of those rebooted bunch. But it was the low- really yeah. I could I could debate you on that. I, uh, it's, a, it's a debate, sure. But I, I mean, still think the first one's the best out of those. They're they're all good. You they know, are good. Into Darkness was a stumble, and then came Star Trek Beyond, which I think is the best of those rebooted bunch of the Kelvinverse movies. But they didn't do the best at the box office. It wasn't a bomb, but it was certainly underperforming. 
And the question is, why exactly? Well, two things. One, Into Darkness wasn't a bad movie, but it was clearly a stumble. So audience is going to go see the one after that and might be more skeptical. And two, it was marketed as essentially an action romp. Half the trailer shots showed, it showed Kirk on a motorcycle yeah. to the Beastie Boys, Sabotage. All of which were in the movie. I was really, really skeptical. That yeah. was that was a movie that I was skeptical about going in, but I was like, "This is it was Star Trek." Poorly so. marketed. It didn't come. It wasn't that kind of movie at all. It was fun, but it was really good, and it focused on the characters. It split them up so they got to spend time together. Uh, you know, it paired off basically, and then come together. It was a great movie. It was an adventure type. Star yeah, Trek movie. but it yeah. was not well marketed, and there's others that are like that, and so and that leads into the next problem how do you deal with how do you feel about when you see something in a trailer and then you go see the movie and half the stuff you saw in the trailer doesn't show up in the movie do you feel gypped by that or because you went to see the movie and hopefully like the movie was it did the trailer do its job well let's give one example one recent example right off the bat and this was one that you and i talked about before we even got this thing kicked off and that was the trailer for rogue one which features Jin Urso staring down a Tie Fighter at the begin at the very end of the trailer there, and you go, "Oh man, this is going to be quite the climax." And then you get to that point in the movie, and no, Jin Urso is not staring down a Tie Fighter. She's staring down this satellite dish, and that's it. That she is that she's trying to get realigned. Now there there was its own thrill there at the end um, with the with the different things there, but. I didn't feel too terribly gypped. I know there were some on the internet verse who, outrage culture, 2018, were unhappy about, or in this case, 2017. No, 2016. That was 2016. We'll we'll figure out what year this is. Outrage culture of the times. Yes, they were like, oh, why didn't you have that in there? I had seen this in the trailer and expected that. I knew there had been reshoots that had taken place. I knew that there was this and that. I was I was somewhat surprised, but I didn't let that dampen my enthusiasm over the movie, which I it was really, a really good movie. liked. It was an excellent movie. So I did not let that damp- dampen it, but I know there are people who let the absence of something like that affect them. Especially in that case, it's tough because they put that toward the end of the trailer, and that's one of those things that makes you go... It's your last, your living impression. Right. This is going to be something big. This might be something big that happens in the movie, and then it didn't end up manifesting itself, which, quite honestly, I think it worked out better that way because yeah. what was the end game exactly going to be? Her facing down a TIE fighter like that, I, I don't think it was going to be very good unless they had uh, one of the other ships come in and blast that thing away. But I wasn't too bothered by it. I know there were people who were, but I know there are more egregious examples that I'm sure could come to mind. There, you know, I have personally no problem if something shows up in the trailer that does not show up in the movie. In fact, I'm a fan of that because how many times have I seen or anybody seen a movie where you saw in the trailer that such and such is doing such and such, and then you get to a point in the movie where, oh, this guy might not make it past this scene. Oh, but he's got to because we haven't seen the scene yet from the trailer where he's doing such and such. So I don't mind at all that now they're they're aware that we're smart, yep. and so they'll throw us curves. And there are examples, which I could cite, they will film specific things just for the trailer that have no intention of being in the movie. One example that came to mind for me, Iron Man 3. You think that the Mandarin is going to be the bad guy. Yeah. You are absolutely certain that the Mandarin is going to be the bad guy, and then... 
He's the Mandarin. Yeah. He's the Mandarin. He's this he's goofy. He's this goofy puppet who has who who does essentially nothing of consequence within the movie. And that you know we yeah. we've kind of talked about a little bit before expectations, and that if your expectations aren't met exactly then it's a disappointment. Whether it's Star Wars The Last Jedi, which took a lot of curves people weren't expecting. I personally didn't mind them at all. Whether the Mandarin was or was not the bad guy, ben, I don't care. It, you, ben didn't, Kingsley. you didn't see it coming. <laughs> and so it was a twist that nobody saw coming, and they were mad that they got fooled. And they Why? used they used Ben Kingsley as this goofball character. I, I thought it was hilarious. He did great yeah. at both turns. And I mean, I, maybe I'm not, because I'm not a comic book fan, really, I don't read Iron Man, I don't read Marvel, so I don't feel like there was a betrayal necessarily. Now, some people might. Okay, but was it done well? Was it entertaining? Did it betray the character, or was the character a puppet? I have no problems with that at all. None. It was entertaining. I didn't see it coming, and I don't. I, I like being surprised. Yeah, even if that clip doesn't get used... Then there's not that expectation of, oh, I'm looking for this, I'm looking for this. And you can just watch the movie then. And that's the problem that trailers yeah. are running into these days, which is why, like you, it doesn't bother me that much if something like that doesn't get used because I want to be surprised. And you look at trailers today, and sometimes the surprise gets taken out of movies oh, with, with just how much they show that's going on, especially the surprise of, of seeing so much of the movie during during the course of the trailer. One good example that came to mind of, of a trailer done right in terms of not showing too much was Interstellar. Yeah. I really enjoyed the trailers for Interstellar because most of the shots were shots that were used during the first half of the movie. You see some of what goes on in, in the space shots, but they they saved a lot of the big stuff for when you're actually in the movie. You know, you get some elements like when they were on the water planet and you see some pieces of the ice planet, but a lot of the surprise and the suspense. They left it, Matt Damon out of everything. Of course. He didn't know he was coming I mean, up. He was, we did say spoilers, right? He was uncredited, so there yeah. I mean that helped too, but But they, that's but that's why. But they know? saved a lot. They saved a lot in in terms of what they showed in that trailer and what they didn't show. And other movies I think have taken a similar cue today. You're they, seeing more and more movies that take out either the third act of their movie or even just the second half of the movie in general. And they might touch it with with very short clips, but they will not have important stuff in there. Some directors even have deals with the studios that are releasing the movies that they have final cut, not just on the movie, but on the trailer. And some of them say, I want to cut this trailer myself. Your staff is fantastic, but we're going to let them take the time off. We'll take care of the trailer. Because sometimes, like we said, these movies get poorly marketed. And so as a director, you want to have a well-received movie. So they want a little more control because some of the trailers, we'll just call it what it is, are bad. You get somebody that watches a lot of music videos and they, they want to cut a trailer like a music video. Well, some movies that works for. Some, it doesn't. Star Trek Beyond comes to mind. That was not that kind of movie even close. So it was a much better job if they had a different trailer. Now, if you're so often, you'll find a fan-cut trailer after the fact. And a lot of them are older movies when the trailers were done completely differently. They want to see a movie trailer done in the style similar to what they do today. There's that. 
And then there are bad movie trailers that are recut by the fans to make it a better movie trailer for what would have been a better example to come out to better market what the movie really was. And I think that the the people that are putting trailers together have such a workload or whatever, they don't have the time to give to the trailer that they really should. And that makes a difference. So maybe with bad response, it could be partially tied to bad trailers. Maybe theater companies will think about maybe we should give a little more time to these trailers. And directors, I'll bet you, I have, I have no idea if Nolan does or not, but the way all of his trailers have turned out, I wouldn't be surprised if he did have some sort of say over the way his trailers come out. But when it comes to certain movies, especially certain movies that that depend on the surprise, yeah. you've got to be careful what you put in there. And I'm especially talking about horror movies, oh. because that is what they thrive on. They thrive on the surprise, which is why it's no wonder that in TV spots and in in trailers, they leave out a lot of the big scares. They they'll they'll throw in maybe some of that that quick fire stuff that that make you jump kind of kind of scare, but they'll leave out a lot of the big stuff because they've got to maintain the core of their essence as much as possible when it comes to going into the movie not knowing what to expect. You're going to get the basic premise from the trailers. You might get a scare or two, but the big stuff, it's got to be saved for when you actually get into the theater and go see it, which is why maybe from the trailers, some of these wouldn't look very good, but that's the point. They've got to keep so much under wraps that they've got to be careful. And, and the same goes, the same flip side of that same coin with comedies. If you give away the best laugh moments in the trailer, you've seen them a hundred times before you actually sit down and see the movie. So when you finally see the joke in its context and the way it should be seen, it's just not as funny as it was because, you know, when you hear that knock-knock joke 15 times, you've lost it. But then you get something like American Pie with the one scene that everyone remembers with the pie is was not in the trailers for obvious reasons, but it was the one that moment from the movie people were talking about. And it was funny, and it was good, and there was a joke to it, and it was sort of a, an earnestness to it also. It was a memorable, good moment that wasn't spoiled by the trailers. But every Stifler joke, they were in the trailers. you know. And a great example of that was a Kevin Kline movie from the 90s called In and Out. Um, and every joke from that movie was on the trailer. So when I saw the movie, it was enjoyable, but it, I'd, all the best parts were already in the trailer. I'd seen those jokes 15 times, not just on the big screen trailer, but all the TV ads for the week or two leading up to it. You saw them again and again and again and again. Then you see the movie and you see it for the 28th time. It's not funny anymore. It's not scary anymore. It doesn't right. grab you. Or they'll have a big plot twist and they'll give it away. Star Trek Three. They blow up the Enterprise. And they you see it, it in the trailer. They put it in the trailer. I this know. Is, it's the last oh. mission of the Enterprise. What? I mean, come on. I mean, stuff like that, somebody needed to be slapped. And they were so upfront about oh. it. They were so upfront about it. It was just matter-of-factly. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. you got to be kidding me. You're going to blast the Enterprise out of the sky. It was unreal. Directors, I, I think you made a great point. Directors should have more control over that because this is their somebody movie. Somebody needs to. This is their movie. Here are a couple of examples that I'm reading about right here. The trailer for Terminator Genesis. Remember that? Yep. That revealed a lot in that trailer, and director Alan Taylor was not happy. He talked in in promotional interviews about some, quote, unpleasant conversations that went on following uh, the the release of that trailer. Jurassic World revealed a lot in that trailer about what was coming up in the movie. Colin Trevorrow said he told IGN the trailers showed, quote, far more of the movie than he would ever have wanted. I think directors should have a big part in that. Directors should have 
a very big part in, in what the trailers look like. They should be a part of the marketing campaign. They should be in those conversations as far as what gets revealed because trailers have a ton of clout. But you've got to be careful just how much you really reveal. You've got to be careful what kind of what kind of media message you're sending here, what kind of movie message that you're sending. Look at sneakers as a perfect example of that. But look at, at an Inception as what an exceptional view of that looks like in terms of creating a certain kind of buzz going into your movie that reflects what the movie is going to be about. Trailers hold a very important place. Even though they, they, reveal a lot, they may reveal a lot, they don't have to reveal everything if they are done well. And not only that, they can create some great buzz and maybe in some cases they can become pretty iconic with the way that they get pieced together. You know, there's examples, I think, when you're doing a trailer, we want to have, in the trailer, we want to have four of these type of shots, we want one of those shots, but we also want one shot that's going to get the audience going, what? And that's what we want. Okay, as a director, let me give you what you want, but I don't want you to take the one shot that's going to make people have that reaction that will actually be in the movie. Let me do it from a different angle. Let me, it doesn't give everything away. Let me do something different. Another Star Trek example, the trailer for Star Trek VI, which is actually a pretty good trailer, has a shot of Captain Kirk being shot and vaporized. You're like, what? Yes. And it actually happens in the movie. However, they shot it from a different angle for the trailer where you just see him get vaporized. He's actually Kirk and a changeling as Captain Kirk, and the changeling gets shot. But in the movie, you see both of them standing next to one another, and one of them gets vaporized. They did it differently for the trailer. So you, what? But then you see it in the movie, and it doesn't quite give it away. You know, it didn't. wasn't a spoiler, per se. So it was done well. If you could come up with, I want to get a dinosaur, come up out of the jungle, and I want to, one of the main characters is in peril. Okay, let's shoot it differently for the sake of the trailer. It's not going to give everything away and maybe a little sleight of hand so that we don't have giant spoilers in the trailer. And then that works. So if you get the company at all, the studio, Universal with Jurassic World, working with Trevorrow, then let's work together, come up with something that's going to make everybody happy and not give it away. Everybody wins. Why is this such a problem that it is still such a problem after such a long period of examples? I don't know, but I think that that some who do modern-day trailers could stand to look back at their their former contemporaries. I've seen trailers and gone, wouldn't this be great if it was put to an old-style type of trailer a little bit? Like, get back to spotlighting the star. Do something different with your trailer to make it pop out a little bit. Maybe go back to a 50s or 60s style or... Do something entirely different with your trailer that makes it stand out. Stanley Kubrick did that. He actually um, would he enlisted this this Cuban artist to create fast cut trailers for Doctor Strangelove and A Clockwork Orange that he would do. But then you then you see the trailer for another one like The Shining. You know, super simple where you have the running text within that crawl style. And you go, what have we got here? And then you see the blood come out from the elevator. It's it's like, oh man. If if well, think of it like this, I think the problem is this: simple. It's simple. Trailers are when they're at their best, an art. If you look at it like it's a piece of merchandise, well, then it doesn't matter. You're just trying to give as much polish on it as you possibly can, regardless of what you're giving away or what it's advertising. I think if you're going to give this piece of art to somebody that's more interested in the merchandise, then that's what you're going to get. 
But if you get people, let's say up-and-coming directors, some great directors like McGee and uh, guys like Tony Scott, you know, director Top Gun, they came out of commercial advertising. Um, some of them came out of music videos, you know, Michael Bay. Now, you can say what you want about Michael Bay and his work, but when he does, when he does it well, he does it well. But his, his background comes from that. Okay, so you got to get somebody maybe that's coming up from film school to be directing these or working with the directors to do the film art. So they're not more focused on the merchandise as much as the art. Now, maybe their vision's a little different than the director. Okay, get them together. This is a great apprenticeship opportunity to get them to A, learn their craft, B, start to get their feet into the deeper waters and make it work, you know, and, and make every, it different. And everybody's happy and it's something artistic rather than just flash, 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 title, cut to black, you know, next title, 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 cut to black. Next. Or clip, 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 just snippets of little stuff that that's making you try to appeal it to the audience something interesting do something different do it with the tv spots even you know you brought up an there's a there's a movie that kind of got me thinking horror movie trailers are needing a lot of work there's a movie very violent you have not seen it nor i think you'd want to see it called you're next the credits at the end of the movie show all the characters and their death pose they you know dead on the floor and there's the shot of the actor's name you've never seen that before but wouldn't it be interesting to take that concept and put it into the movie trailer where it's not about you know, and then there was one kind of a motif, but it is. So you show every member of the cast that's going to be killed, and you announce this. This is a group of so-and-so counselors at such-and-such. Everyone except one will be killed. And then the one that lives steps out from the group. That's me. I'm going to live. So she walks away, and everybody, huh, what? And it's not about watching them get off, but how is this one person going to escape the nightmare? And if the movie kind of delivers on that, I mean, that is very, very different. How would that work? Would the anticipation be about the people being knocked off, or would it be about how is this one person going to escape? How do they make it through? And the movie would have to kind of follow that theme. Could be an interesting reversal of, you know, Ten Little Indians, and then there was one kind of Agatha Christie-like. If you're not here next time we are doing the (laughs) podcast, I'm going to know exactly where you are and what your new line of work is. So that's good to know. You'll know. Although Rick and Nick are probably listening to us doing their own podcast and they're thinking, hey, what a great idea, and now Finally. they're going to take that and and run with it themselves. Teaser, so, whatever. You know, trailers and teasers have gone through a lot of things, and even some real bad examples where things have gone maybe a little too far, um, whether it's too much information or maybe just a bad idea or circumstantial. Like we'd mentioned off camera, off camera, off, off, off microphone, when Spider-Man, the original Sam Raimi, you know, Tobey Maguire version was coming out, they had the first teaser. And then 9-11 happened, and they had to remove the teaser because the teaser was a spider web strung between the Twin Towers with a helicopter stuck in it because they were robbing a bank and Spidey strung them up between the towers. Well, now there's no more towers. Why would you want to see that teaser on September 12th? Right. You know, so they had to get rid of that. There was a, was a really good movie, Clint Eastwood movie, um, and The Line of Fire. And it's about presidential assassins. Again, the Secret Service is going to be examining me now. The Highway House blew up and presidential assassinations. Where, If you've seen the movie, Clint Eastwood's character was on the detail of JFK when he was assassinated in Dallas. And now the current president that he's still protecting is being threatened. And so he would be the only active Secret Service agent with two lost opportunities. And he hangs up the phone with the would-be assassin, cocks his gun, looks right at the camera, not on my watch. People thought that was offensive. And so they stopped airing that trailer. You can find it on YouTube. It's out there. 
Um, but that was offensive, and so they stopped doing that. So there are instances where trailers do try to get creative and do something, but for one reason or another, uh, we gotta we gotta scrap that. We gotta let it go. Yeah, you know, well, people thought that the teaser trailers of Arnold Schwarzenegger's Last Action Hero maybe didn't. It was a little meta. The movie itself is very meta, very self-referential to movies. That's why I loaned it to you. I don't think it's necessarily the greatest movie ever made, but it is entertaining. It is good. And it's, and it's different. And it's very different. And it's very meta. And that's the biggest draw of it. But the trailers were meta. But if you don't know that you're looking on the inside of an inside joke, you don't really get the joke. Right. And I don't think the teasers work to that end. And I think that might have been partially why the movie is considered a bomb, because it's a Schwarzenegger movie when he was at the height of his popularity, and the movie didn't quite perform anywhere near what had come before. It was, I think, the first movie he did after Terminator 2, I think. And it just didn't live up to that. But so, in retrospect, maybe it's, it succeeded it's a, better, a little bit it's a, more. It's a much better movie, and maybe than it, it made more sense in terms of the marketing they tried to do. But, the, but only in retrospect. But the movie came out, I think, right on top of Jurassic Park, the first one. Everybody's talking about Jurassic Park, the first one, and and Schwarzenegger's got another movie. Eh. I'm going to go see one this week. What do you want to go see, kids? Dinosaurs! And that's what happened. That's right. That's what happened. And uh, so trailers are a hit. They're a miss. They're an art form. But you got to do them right because if you don't do them right or you do them poorly, it's like shooting yourself in both feet. Sounds like soundtracks. I think that would be probably a good idea for next one. I think so, yes. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, and we're pleased to have them on board as a sponsor of the podcast. It's always great getting to go catch a movie at the Bemidji Theater. I was just there for two movies the other week. I have yet to see Ready Player One. I really want to see it. I'm planning to go see that one as well. I'll, I mean, I'll hit you up. I'm going to go this week, I think, sometime. My wife doesn't want to see it, so I'm going to sneak out of the house and go. I'll, get okay. you, I'll hit you up. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm What's-His-Face. Dave Brooks, if you prefer. If you prefer. And we'll see you at the movies.